podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. This is the Celtic Exchange Weekly, this is Tino and this week I'm joined by Miff, Parry and James as we cover all things Celtic. A good one over Kelly at the weekend sees us maintain the nine point lead at the top and good to see Jota back amongst the goals. But let's kick things off with your Celtic moments of the week. James, we'll let you get the ball rolling, what have you got? Uh, I thought just getting to see a bit more of uh, Alistair Johnson, thought he had a great debut and I thought, thought he played well at the weekend as well but more his, his interview after the Rangers game, really articulate, seems to really know the system and is looking forward to, you know, learning and developing under Ange in that system. But he just seems like, you know, really early doors, he's got it. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of caught the, the Celtic bug. So looking forward to seeing more of him. I think he's going to be a fan's favourite. The kid's got it. I thought he had a really good game on Saturday as well. And he showed, he done a, I talked to him after about it in the post-match, he done a, a wee Cruyff turn in the box at one point. Didn't quite... Uh, come off after it, he's kind of, he passed it instead of shooting I thought, but he's got a bit something a bit of something to him in terms of moving forward and at the back buddy. Yeah definitely, I think um, we've got to we've got to again just obviously let him bed in, um, it's very early days but is this just another one of these signings that's going to come in and hit the ground running it's it's looking very lightly, um, he seems very very comfortable on the ball even looking, him, looking at him at Ibrox last week um, he knew that sometimes the pass wasn't on and he was just comfortable enough about bringing it back on even his weaker foot um, and, and playing it back into defence if needed. Um, good recycling on the ball. Yeah, my the latest chat is, you know, speaking of right-backs and all that, Juranovic to Silvio Berlusconi's Monza for around about £7 million. Any take on that? Uh, no particularly, no. I, I just think uh, Juranovic, I would assume based on the the amount that's been mooted for the, the transfer around about seven million. I think it's just reflective of Juranovic seems to be in it for the money. Um with the moves he's made, you know, we were able to pick him up for Warsaw for a relatively paltry sum. And likewise, I would assume the seven million's been something that's been put in there as a as a minimum buyout clause. That, that's how it feels yeah. to me anyway. There's no buyout clause. <coughs> we've, we've we've had that on decent authority. Is that is yeah. that high? Yeah. Um but it seems it seems a bit light. It, I think he's got to the stage. It goes back to the age old point. I, I think he's he has heads away, and Ange has spotted that, and and he's been managed out the door. So if we get seven million from Great, we've already got his replacement in. You know, it's, it's fine. It's fine by me. I, I, I really like, like Juranovic. I think there's um, there's still a bit more to come from him, and if he'd stayed, I think he would have been able to go up another level again. But somebody that's played in the World Cup semi final. He what age is he? 27, 28? 28. Probably thinks the times now it gets a lucrative move to Serie A. Fair play to him, all the best. Same. I, obviously, we're, we're talking about getting the replacement in as well. I still think they might look for another right back. I just get a weird feeling that we're not quiet in the market there. Um, but I do, I do. Just, I think we need to kind of. We've, we've spoken about this thing about Europe and obviously, you know, we need to maybe go up another step. Not to say that Johnson isn't going to be that next level, but I just, I'm talking in support as well um, on, on top of what Ralston can do I think Ralston's really good you know he's having, having a great season up to his injury yeah yeah. I, I don't see if we're bringing a right back off in, in Europe next season mm-hmm. and it's Ralston has to come on I'm happy with that fair enough I just I think maybe with the the fact that we've only spent how much was it on Johnson was it three and a half, three and, a half or something, yeah. and we only spent two and a two half, half on Juranovic we're still in profit if we get the seven million mm. I still think there's maybe going to be one more I've just got a weird feeling about that mm. Miff doing the Time math yep. um, Miff will come to you now what's been your moment of the week in Celtic Mathematics <clears throat> thank you um, my moment of the week would be our dear leader finally having enough and speaking out quite clearly around the absolute circus that's going on uh, with the decisions that are being given against us or not for us and how others shall we say are being refereed uh, I, I think it's it's what we all want as, as fans and despite some uh, rather forthright feedback on the YouTube channel around our discussion last week <laughs> um, certainly some slanderous accusations out there last <laughs> time going to be a decent evidence um, yeah. Well, I, well, I was a father of two, I think. And there was a fair bit there I could contest in any case, but or I'll be having words with, with Mrs. Miff. But um, the the fact that he, he has felt so compelled to speak out in some quarters, um, I work with a few of of the other persuasion. They are saying, "Oh, you know, he's he's kind of he's cracked and all that sort of nonsense." But 
I think to to be fair, uh, it, it was time. Aye. It was definitely time, and for me, I think it just further cements his position as the figurehead. Not not that he needed it, not that he needed any of us to um, to do it, but I think the fact that he has done it and the time the time at which he's done it just shows he just knows the game he's just so savvy and it just gives you even more confidence in him leading us as a club yeah what I think's interesting is that he came out and said something like in his 25 year plus coaching career he's never come out and criticised officials it's not something he does it's very interesting that once he comes to Scottish football he eventually feels the need to do so such as is the way things have been going on and actually he's a guy who's who's worth listening to at the best I think it's Paddy but I think enough's enough and, and he's maybe felt compelled and, and you know he just has to speak out at this moment in time well that's it you know I mean you're, you're saying that yourself there about like he's he's not done that over his career he's never felt the need to do so and even then I actually thought he was um, quite clever in his words and saying I'm still not criticising referees at this point what he's criticising is the the dumbfoundedness over a, a rule of what is a penalty and what's not and why has it affected our team so much this season? It's not mm. an isolated incident with Goldson last week. Yesterday. Uh, I, I yesterday. I, exactly. You, you had me thinking there. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this has been going on all year. You look at the Burnaby incident, the O'Reilly incident, which we touched upon last week. This can only go so far. And the key word for me is is that these even themselves out over the, the course of the year. It's too late now. It can't. It generally can't. But the main thing is, is we are still nine points clear here. You'll have, you'll have seen someone, it was John McGlinchey or Dan Tosney, posted the differentials in, in penalties given for you and against you. Mm-hmm. We're plus eight over the last four or five years. Yeah. Rangers are plus 33. Aye. It's wild, I man. You can't, you can't um, start that out. Yeah, yeah. I, f- I can't remember who originally posted it, but um, Dan Tosney picked up on it and, and, and ran the numbers over the last six years. And he was saying exactly that. You're looking at the, the, the teams that dominate across the major European leagues, and it's like PSG plus 12, yeah. Barca plus 15, Real Madrid plus 18, Celtic plus whatever, Rangers, a complete outlier. Plus 33. Not yeah. the dominant team. So that's a, a net penalties for, penalties against. So, for example, they, if they got 40 penalties and conceded seven, that leaves you net 33. So that's the kind of maths on that. It's just incredible. And listen, we've all spoken in our own group and different WhatsApp groups. And there's a few folks I know that say, listen, there can't be any conspiracy. Celtic won quadruple trebles and all that stuff. I maintain Celtic won those kind of titles despite some of the nonsense yeah. in this country yeah. because we were so dominant and so good. The, the, the numbers there just don't stack up. Perfect examples, the Ronadyla uh, Ron attempt at the treble. Oh, Perfect yeah. examples right there, what happened in the game against um, Inverness. Yeah. That's it. Ruined my trip to New York. <laughs> I, I'd ruined my trip to New York. I was already rough. I was in Jack Dempsey's at like half seven in the morning and I get in and there was a boy sitting with an Inverness Cali track. <laughs> I swear to God. Richie Ford. I swear to God. I was like, oh man. Anyway, sorry, digressing slightly. Um, Maths trip to New York is the main thing, but you're right, Paddy, there's, there's other things at play. Yeah. Um, Final I'll come to you, Paddy. What's your moment of the week in Celtic? Um, quite a, a, a soft note here for us, guys. Just a, a big shout out to the, the Chiarella family. Uh, Peter Chiarella passed away last week. Um, it's my cousin's um, grandfather, my aunt, my aunt Margaret, and my late uncle Pacho's uh, father-in-law there. Um, a big shout out to that family. Uh, an absolute legend of a guy. He's seen every Celtic manager from Willie Mealy to the main man, Postacoglu, we have today. And uh, just an incredible achievement. A massive fan would make his way through as much as he could from Lock Gilped. And uh, yeah, just a, a shout out to the family and wishing you guys all the best with everything. Do you know that's a brilliant shout, Paddy, in, in kind words? So Peter Tirella, he was 101 years of age. 101, I think. mate, yeah. And just that incredible yeah. start. He's seen every Celtic manager in living history yeah. from Willie Mealy. Right through to the current Ange Postacoglu. I think the club recognised it last year. Was there a, a photo opportunity and some other things? They did. I think um, they've also been very, very kind um, to to Peter uh, and the family as well over the years. Um, at one point, it was the oldest season but colder, and I think uh, Paul continued that to keep keep the ticket going. Um, I think it was actually Paul's father, uh, Pat Joe's ticket, that they, they continued on and put into Peter's name at one point. So... Really, really nice touch with that as well. Um, and as we say 101, I, I know that this guy only retired lately. He had a hardware shop up in Lock Gilped and uh, I think uh, that was his joy. That's what kept him going as well as the Celtic. So, aye, a massive shout out to them. 
Yeah, great shout and, and best wishes to, to Peter's family as well at this sad time. There's also a nice tribute, I think it's the Celtic Bars um, Twitter account as well. Yeah. They've got a nice written piece and a couple of really nice images. So, yeah, thoughts with the family and a uh, nice one to get us going today, Paddy. Let's take a look at what's coming up on this week's show. First up, it's the, the big debate where we cover a fairly topical issue this week which seems to split the opinion of the fan base at the moment. We then see the return of the mystery Celt for the first time this year as the lads here try to guess who the famous ex-Celtic player is. We'll then move on to our first listener's question of the year and it's another interesting one for us to get into. And finally, we'll highlight something which we think you'll enjoy from this week in Celtic media. Okay, so to get us started this week, I want to put a question to you guys that's, as I mentioned, fairly topical. And the question is this. In the modern game, how much credit should we give to, inverted commas, the data versus the traditional eye test when it comes to analysing players? Before we get stuck into it, Matthew, I know, I'll come to you first because I know exactly how you feel. But before we get stuck into it, and to provide some further context here, this is in relation to a post that the Huddle Breakdown channel put out last week. I'm sure a lot of folks are aware of the guys there in, in terms of what they do uh, within the Celtic fan media space. So they put out a post last week asking the question, something along the lines of, is Rio Hitati good enough? You could argue it's a bit clickbaity. I, th- I think that's maybe what they were trying to do. It's maybe just not quite been delivered in the right way. But for those who don't know the Huddle Breakdown, it's hosted by a very decent guy, a guy called Ender Cole. I've done a couple of things with Ender myself. And Alan Morrison, who a lot of folk will know on Twitter as Celtic by Numbers, and Duco James. So the three of them make up their panel. And by their own description online, they as a channel look at stats, analysis, XG, performance, all these kind of things. That That's their niche, that's their thing. The post asking if Rio Hattati was good enough, unfortunately, did bring out a lot of negative responses, which resorted to personal abuse, and ultimately the guys decided to take the post down. You could certainly debate whether that's the right move or not. But while I don't always agree with their, their questions and assessments and different things, and I disagree with you know the majority decision on Hattati, I do think there's always a way to you know have healthy and respectful debate online, and it was a wee bit disappointing to see that you know, in this case. James, what's your general take on that before we get into the question itself? Uh, aye, the abusive stuff is just unnecessary, but it's Twitter, it's the internet. Aye. People are, you know, hiding behind you know, profiles or whatever, so uh, it wouldn't really bother me. You know, we've had a, a bit of uh, interesting <laughs> comments on the, the YouTube from last week. If that, that wouldn't bother me. I certainly wouldn't have taken it down. I would have stuck to my guns there. Um, it's, it's good for these guys to ask the questions. You know, Ender did a really good report after the Rangers game on the, the the stats and the kind of formations where the goal, where we lost the goals and stuff, like, really well thought out, and I really like um, Alan stuff. I've you know, followed them for for quite a while, so you know there, there's there's good heads in there. Um, yeah, the question itself maybe a bit clickbaity, not for me. You know, as in it's not the question I would have asked. Um, yeah, just one of those things. And in the interest of fairness, was was the whole Hitati debate not around specifically Europe rather than domestically? Not quite. I, I've watched it in full just to make sure I've got the full information here. So the suggestion was overall that his numbers, you know, the data, the stats, the analysis, are below that of Aaron Moy, Matt O'Reilly, and very surprisingly David Turnbull, who barely plays. Paddy, you had a strong opinion on it because a lot of it comes down to the fact that I, th- I think we all agree that Hattati's a, a fantastic player. On you go, Mark. James will have a strong opinion on the Tur- Turnbull data, no doubt. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have one just in... Kind of, so. Paddy, you mentioned because Hattati takes the discs yeah. that Turnbull doesn't, so your stats are nice and tidy. Yeah. Saturday, towards the end of the game, Turnbull breaks and he's well ahead of the pack and there's a risky ball ahead. He stops and turns back yeah. and five Kelly players are past him. And now you're you know, you're having to break through that. There's the interesting thing about something like that, that particular action. That'll show David Turnbull is keeping possession, yeah. making a completed pass and we're all good. Yeah. Rio Hattati would maybe try the slide drill pass and it might get intercepted and that'll go against him. And wants his players to try. Sorry, if I know you're trying to jump. <laughs> I just want to say the line. I just want to say the line. No, 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 no. Give us it, Miff. Football is watched with your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I to- yeah. totally agree. I think Ange is not going to sit there and look at um, the stats in Hattati and say, do you know what, your numbers aren't good enough, you're out. I think what he's going to do is say, do you know what, you try, you make mistakes, that's what I want. I think, I think exactly they'll have a status Celtic on, did you try, did you take the risk, were you brave? Probably. They'll be, they'll be watching oh, that. Aye, but it won't be Anne's kind of sitting with that, in my opinion. I think it's... Go for it, Miff. I love a James category. He's got his sub-categories. <laughs> you've got, you've got all, the, all, the, all the known categories, then you've got the James subsections. <laughs> Did you try something different? Yeah, yeah but there's, there's but a- XG, which Brave is player of the goals. year. <laughs> <laughs> XG is expected goals. XDYT, expected did you tries. 
<laughs> so we'll see yeah. how that goes. Um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Paddy. I think whether it's Rio Hitati, Kyogo, Jota, and even the guys at the back, including the goalie, if you don't execute things in the way he wants you to do so, your, your stats record and your opta stats and all these things might look great if you play it very, very safe. He doesn't want that. He wants guys to win football in an exciting way. Yeah, and uh, Miff say, like, say that there, it's watched with his eyes. The manager will see that. He'll see what Hattati is producing. And he's one of our best players. Yeah. He really is. He's an incredible talent. He's and he's Saturday. Huh? So I'm on Saturday. He's brilliant. I, I, absolutely. He's, he's only going to get better. Yeah. I loved uh, the picture that came out with him getting his man in a match. I was <laughs> absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Buzzing. With the trackies on. Nah, yeah. Celebrate yeah. with a of champagne. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, Miff, so... You're big on football as watched with your eyes, quote unquote. You said it many times. There's obviously more and more, you know, Celtic sites and other sites, mainstream media providing all this analysis, stats, data, XG, all those kind of things. And it seems to be just a, a, an increasing part of the game. What value do you think they provide? Do you think it, you know, it's got its place in the modern game? Absolutely. And, and that's what I don't want to come across here. I'm not in any way being dismissive of the use of stats in football or the work that guys like the Huddle Breakdown do, you know, Alan and, and Endon and, and the guys like that. What I would say is, you're not going to solely sign a player on stats, you're going to watch and look at the player and what you see aesthetically, what you see, I think forms a bigger part on your signing. So for example, if someone can, you know, get box to box, I know that'll come across in the stats in terms of distance covered, but you'll look with your eyes to see physically, are, are they able to do it? How quickly do they do it? Are they able to keep going for the full game? Or are they going to blow up? I mean, they're the one thing you can level at Hitati is he's maybe just not quite capable of a 90 minute performance, but we know the reasons for that. But he's not been a professional football player for, for a long, long time. So you're hoping that that'll, that stamina will build up through through time. But generally speaking, you, you'll go by the look of a player. And, and something that Hitati did on Saturday where he sent one of the Kelly players oh, about 10 him. yards down Aye. the park by just Without doing, touching the ball. Uh, he didn't touch the ball. It was just purely a drop of the shoulder. Stats don't cover stuff like that. It's 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 it, the way that that guy plays football. And I've seen him do it so many times. You, you look back at the video compilations, what he does, the guy is just exceptional. And he can be as good as he wants to be. Yeah. Once he finds the knack or the trick of dominating a game consistently, he, he does it at times... He drifts in and out of games. It's understandable. That's probably why he plays for Celtic, not not somebody, you know, in in a, a, a massive team in a top four league. Mm. But he is that good. It's it's, it's I said it on the post match. It's Lobo esque as far as I'm concerned mm. in terms of that natural yeah. talent mm -hmm. that he has. If yeah. we can hone that over the next couple of years, I mean, he is just an incredible footballer to watch. Lobo esque is, is lofty praise, Muff, but I, I don't disagree with you. The moment Muff's mentioned there, where he's he sold the killer midfielder a dummy, he he picks the ball up around about halfway inside their half, yeah. sold sells in the dummy, and then bursts into the, the box. He actually makes it into the penalty box and puts it to Maeda, I think, who's on the penalty spot. It's what would be a perfect assist. Maeda doesn't quite execute it in the way you'd hope, but from Hatati's point of view, he carries it X distance and puts it to a guy who should probably finish and give Hatati an assist. So where does he ask, you know, his assist that will register zero for that? He should be getting a one to all intents and purposes. Yeah, but Hatati's probably one of those players where he, he goes beyond the stats just because he, he's special and the things that he'll do will be some will be things that get people off their seats, but not necessarily something that be, can be quantified in, uh, within the stats. Um, but absolutely, they have they have their place. I, I would still say though that, that that when you watch a game of football, you know somebody like that when Potter was at Brighton, Brighton signed a lot of players based on on stats. Some worked, some didn't. You know, um, the guy Gross who's still there, I think he was signed had been the top chance creator for Mance or something like that in, in the Bundesliga when he signed Pascal Gross is still at Brighton he's been signed he's a decent player a very a very good player but he's he, he's not exceptional he's not he, he's not came and then earned a move to a bigger club than Brighton for example mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm not meaning to be you know glib when I say that it's just that you can sign based on stats and they'll get you a good player but in my opinion, somebody like Rio Hitati, he's got the X factor, yeah. and that doesn't come across in the stats. I, I would say the way Celtic are working, you know, is that that I can tell you some things that can't tell you everything, and the stats will get us to scout you, and our eyes will tell us if we should sign you. 
you know, it's that, that blend. You can't just do it all in stats, you know. I think that's the gist of it. I'm going to look at uh, Brentford in a bit of detail just shortly because I think that was the model they have been executing in the last... I think they've profited to the tune of around about 150 million in the last five or six years. And that's what they say. The data will put guys in front of you and then you'll send your senior scouts to say, right, OK, we know that this, that and the next thing is, is what applies to this player. Let's take a look, look at him and see how he executes it. I was going to ask a, a question down that road though, James. So obviously... Stats and analytics can provide a lot, but there are certain things that they can't, you know, that can't be quantified. And I was thinking of an example of something like the influence that, say, a Roy Keane, a Scott Brown, or dare I say, a Billy McNeil might bring to your football team. You cannot put that on a chart or a graph. So, Presence and aura. So where does that fall into things when it comes to data? Well, that can only be when you're at the game watching these guys, you know, are, are the players looking to him? Is he leading the team? Is he, you know putting his head where people wouldn't put their feet, those kind of things. So, yeah, you're not you're not going to start that off, but that's what the, the in-person viewing, you know, scouting will do for you. So, yeah, it's just, it's essential that you're, you're not basing it on uh, stats. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the stat for people putting their head where other people should put their feet. <laughs> There'll be one. 100%. Must be on the way. It's like the, those kind of things as well that you're talking about, the, the aura of certain players, especially the, the ones you've just mentioned. It's certain games. I'll never forget a game against Rangers at Ibrox. Um, it was a 2-1 game um, when Scott Sinclair scored the winner and we were all over the place for the first 30 minutes. Brown got booked and yes. that was the beginning of our game. I galvanised yep. him. The tackle yep. was yep. excellent, but see yep. the reaction to all the players. Yep. I shouldn't have to be making that tackle. Yep. Come on, yep. let's, let's up the game. And we started playing better football. That can't be, that can't be a stat. That's yeah. just, well, I know it's a booking stat, but that is leadership. Leadership. Yeah. In football, there, there are a lot of intangibles. Something like, why is home advantage such a big advantage? Because it's same football, part, yeah. but it's yeah. part of the same main part. Why is a penalty a penalty one week and not the next week when somebody's hurt it with their hand or whatever? don't know if that's intangible. Is it, is it just, just poor <laughs> just get sub- subjectivity for Kenny Clark. Um, but... I, I think what attracts you to football is, is the fact that it isn't just this, you know if you go simply by the stats then the favourite should win every week mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't work like that and I think that kind of carries on into player performances you can look good on the stats but it, it's it's what you see as a fan it's what you see and, and what excites you and you even, you even see it when you go online after a game I can I can comfortably sit in the bus the supporters busting away home and think to myself, I he did a good game or ah, he wasn't that good today. And then you go online and there's a photo of said player that you didn't think was that good. This man was outstanding the day, yet another brilliant performance and you're going <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's got to, to play its part. I mean it's interesting we talk about influence and leadership and things that can't be measured. What I do think is encouraging when we hear Anne speaking and we've heard this often from him, is that he places so much emphasis on the person as well as the player so yeah he'll know that let's look at Alistair Johnson who he's brought in recently or Kobayashi the left-sided defender who we've, we've yet to see he'll know what they can do he'll know that they you know bring it out they get involved in so many attacks they have so many blocks they've won so many headers all these things and that's all good mm-hmm. and I'm sure Ange says I need somebody to meet a minimum requirement within those areas but I also want to get a word with him I also want to speak to him I want to see how he carries himself and that's got to be encouraging Paddy that it looks like Celtic are looking beyond the data oh, 100% um a lot of the players that are are in this team are in the start of living that you know us as fans perfect example um, us as fans that are unsure about it some some points but perfect example is Maeda right you, you look at that that's someone Ange knows and knows that he just needs an arm around the shoulder to get the confidence up but he'll do that with all of them he really will um, those that think they're maybe a bit better that's you know I think maybe Juranovic is a good example. They get found out with good managers like Ange Postacoglu. You know what I mean? They're not going to last long in a team because they'll upset the rhythm. They'll upset the culture. And I just think that he, his man management, you know, we go back to Martin O'Neill. O'Neill's man management was incredible. Was hardly on the training ground. But his man management, to give players confidence. You look at the likes of Sutton, Thompson, Hapson, all coming up and playing really well for us. I see the same in Ange. I really yeah. do. Yeah. I'd say a, a point on that and a, a kind of similarity with our sliding doors moment with Eddie Howe, obviously before Ange. But if you look at the way he signs players, he's looking for, for people as well. Ronaldo apparently has got a Newcastle clause in his contract that if Newcastle come in for him, he could be released. He has got no chance of Eddie Howe signing him because he wouldn't have that toxicity no. in his dressing room. 
and it's the same for Ange. It's that you've got to fit, as you say, the culture. Yeah. You know, a Newcastle clause in your contract. What is, what is the world coming? So, going to ask you another question, James, just about day in general and how it's affecting and, and changing the game moving forward. Could an over reliance on data take us to a point where we end up effectively with robots instead of football players? I.e., these guys are just very functional <laughs> in skill and flair. Miffs down the robot for anyone listening on audio. <laughs> for anyone who's, you know, a skillful player, a flair player, will this maybe be removed out of the game moving forward in certain cases? Just Miff talking about there about, you know, what, what keeps driving us back to go and watch football is that it's not binary. You know, it's not ones and zeros. It's not robotic. It's it's the things that go wrong or, you know, just things you didn't expect. And that that's what fans love. And football will always like to have Hatati, Lubuesque type stuff that isn't in the stats. So, nah, not for me. I think I think it's probably become more like that than it was before, mm-hmm. but it'll never permeate a full team because you need this, the skill. What is in the stats is both Lubo and Tatati scored doubles against Rangers in their first game against them. There can't, you go. Can't deny those stats. Like I'd mentioned Brentford and their whole model. Um, Michelin are, are another club, and I think yep. is there a tie-in with those two clubs? Yeah. Same ownership or something. So. Um, so they use this data-driven Moneyball type approach to good effect. And Moneyball is a film that's fascinating. I'm sure you guys have seen it just in terms of, is it Billy Beans, the... Yeah. Oakland A's, is that his team? I don't, I don't watch films. Right, okay, well, that's that's another debate for another day. Who doesn't watch films? Anyway, me. The Moneyball approach is very interesting. It's well worth checking out. But Brentford, Meacheland, Brighton to an extent, and various other clubs are now you know, applying this data-driven approach. The guy who was involved at Brentford was a guy called Rasmus Ankerson, who's now Southampton's director of football. And... <laughs> what? <are they? laughs> Stop, Stop, man. I know. <laughs> he's uh, he's quoted as saying if David wants to beat Goliath you can't do that by using the same weapons and this is his whole thing right so their big thing is finding quote unquote underperforming individuals with high potential you might put a number of guys that are at Celtic at the moment to be that so you might say someone like Kyogo and Juranovic at the age they're at they're, they've maybe flown under the radar or maybe they should have kicked on and they haven't quite and that's what Celtic have done there's a few good examples at Brentford so there's is it Neil Moipe who's now at Brighton they bought him for 1.8 million from San Etienne in France, sold him to Brighton for 20 million. Said Ben Rama bought for 1.5 million from Nice, sold to West Ham for 20.8 million. And Ollie Watkins bought for a higher price, 6.3 million from Exeter City, which is mad that anyone's mm-hmm. given Exeter 6 million, but by the by. But they then sold him to Villa for 30.6 million. And as I mentioned, their model across the last five or six years has allowed, allowed them to profit to the tune of around about 150 million. So this is slightly different to, you know, any of us four sitting and saying Rio Hitati's a player, Juranovic is a player, Johnson's a player. This is where a club is, you know, specifically going out in terms of recruitment and looking at the data. To that point I mentioned, James, it's to get eyes on somebody from a, you know, on a spreadsheet or on a computer, first of all, and then go and employ it. Matt, I'll come to you first because you seem bursting to say something. No, it's Rasmus Ankerson, was that his name? Still got that. That's brilliant, man. Um, Celtic have got the likes of, you know, Hitati, Jota, Abada, O'Reilly. These are the kind of guys which will surely fall into that model. You've bought for, you know, one and two million. Celtic will sell for, you know, at least 10 plus. What you described there, though, about that sort of underperforming high potential. Underperforming individuals with high potential. Uh, that, that seems to me, you know, it's hungry players along with the personalities, as you discussed, that that seems to be that, that sort of bracket that, that Angie's looking. And fairly telling that, that we went out and bought somebody like Johnston at a time when there was just murmurings about Juranovic. Yeah. It goes back to what Paddy says. I think if once you're out, you're out. And I, mm. I, I think from what you can see of those personalities, Juranovic and Giacomakis are quite big personalities. But if they've, if they've strayed over that line, as Ange sees it, you're, you're gone. Yeah. And that that's the way it has to be. Yeah, and you go, Paddy. Ankerson. Uh, did you see he's at Southampton now? He is. He's, he's their director of football. And we're just talking about obviously that kind of model. They're linked with Maeda today yeah. as well. So That's right. Big well. pockets. So there's maybe something in that. But, I mean, James, do you see that as as the modern Celtic? I think it's refreshing to see the way Celtic are signing players just now. And I think by and large, everyone is really pleased with the I think 24 players or so we've brought in under Ange and there's always going to be a few that don't work out we're I, lucky I was going to say Paddy I mean, yeah, in the words of Michael Beale we are lucky but clown apart, <laughs> apart from that I'm talking about not being abusive online Paddy and we're calling guys clowns but um, if the shoe fits yeah, um, the clown shoes fit the, uh, the whole thing about guys like 
you know, Maeda and different guys. They absolutely fit this model and, and Celtic should be shopping in this market and actually always should have been, James. We can't compete with anybody in the Premier League, you know, Spanish giants and all that kind of stuff when it comes to paying transfer fees. But we can get smarter with our scouting and it looks like the club are moving in that general direction. Yeah, and you know, great managers for us both, but O'Neill and Rogers, their blind spot was their, their scouting, their signing, their recruitment because they was basically going for bigger names, guys who are on 40 grand a week. It's just never going to be. I mean... We were talking about it with, with pals last week and our guests, we, you and I were talking about it before, Paddy, that we think there's a, a new influence at Celtic, whether it's Ross Desmond or, or someone, mm-hmm. there's fresher thinking. For Celtic to have been doing things the same way, the same way forever and ever, and then like overnight when Ange comes in, this is the new way we do things. And, it's, and he's been fully backed. Um, and it's the only way. You, know, to, we, we, you have to understand your position in the pecking order and obviously we want to keep climbing up that pecking order but where we are now we've got to sign the ones and twos and sell them for tens and twenties and that let you sign the fives and the six for twenty thirty and stuff like that so I think they're executing it really really well um, it's as organised I've said it before it's as organised as I've ever seen Celtic from a scouting policy yeah. it's called the Don Mackay effect James he came in wow, man. came in set the foundation and, and sailed off in this remember that guy yeah as we close this one out Matt, I mean I suppose the ultimate question you know does data have its place in football and ultimately how important is it yes it does and because technology is advanced then the data that you're able to extract from a game increases as well so it's absolutely got its place There's, I don't think there even is a debate about that it's just it, it is not a replacement for somebody being able to watch a player and see if they think that they're talented or not, it just augments that that view that you have. Good yeah. word. Good word. Thank you. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Paddy, any final comments from you? As I said at the top of the piece, obviously this has all come about through what ending the guys at the, the Huddle Breakdown have put out. And I hope they continue to do some of the good stuff they've done. Listen, what they do isn't for everybody, it's quite niche, but they do a good job and they put a lot into it. And you know, I hope they can you know, the abuse stuff can kinda move to the side and they can crack on with what they're doing. So good luck to them on, on that score. But what's your final comments in general, Paddy? Um I, I just think it's one of those situations where a lot of people have just got it wrong. Um I think that I know what they're trying to do. I understand the headline. I understand what they're trying to get. They're trying to get listeners like, this is what we want as as people that are in fan fan media. We want people to be entertained with what we're saying. I just think they've got the headline wrong. Um, and yeah, a good subject to look at. It just shows you what they were focusing on. As we've said, the stats don't always tell the the, 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 the truth in that sense. And Hattati's after McGregor, our best midfielder, you know, so... I just think, uh, yeah, they've just got it wrong, but we all just need to be nice. We're all Celtic fans, come on. Yeah. That's at the end of the day, you know, we should all be singing from huh? the same general hymn sheet, you yeah. know, what we all want Celtic to do well. And yeah, I'd like to think that people can get on board with that and realise that guys like Enda and others and ourselves, I suppose, you know, this all comes from the right place and yeah. sometimes we'll get it wrong and that's just the way it plays out. But it's an interesting topic in general, as you say, Paddy. I think we all agree that Hattati is one of the best midfielders we've seen in some time. Mm-hmm. Um, and others might disagree, and, and that's what keeps football interesting. So, always going to be an interesting debate, that one. Now let's move on to this week's Mystery Celt, the first of the new year. I can't remember how the score was going, Paddy, there towards the end of the year, but I'm pretty sure I was winning comfortably. No. No. Anyway. Anyway, get into the new year, the scores are reset, so it's nothing each, we're back to level pegging. Just makes the rules up and goes along, isn't it? Honest to God. Yeah, I've been doing it the last six weeks or so, I might as well continue. So are you ready for the first mystery sell of 2023? Go for it. Myth clue number one, I've had two playing spells at Celtic. Charlie Nichols. That was my guess, yeah. Clue number two, I'm just checking for James, looking at my notes, he used to do this. Right. Clue number two, I won the Scottish PFA Player of the Year Award during my first spell at the club. Sean Maloney. And clue number three, I have over a hundred caps for my country. Hard luck, Paddy. So, while the lads are having a bit think about that one, I want to let listeners know about our recently relaunched website at theCelticExchange.com, where you can now access all of our podcasts, blog articles, videos and social media channels. You can also see further information there on the additional podcast content we provide each week through our Celtic Exchange Plus subscription. We also provide a free weekly e-newsletter called Between the Lines, and you can sign up for that quickly and easily through the short form on the homepage. So for all things Celtic, visit theCelticExchange.com now. You got anything? What was, the first, what was the first question again? Yep, so to recap the clues, I've had two playing spells at Celtic. Number two, I've won the Scottish PFA Player of the Year Award during my first spell at the club, and I've got over 100 caps for my country, 111 to be precise. Anything jumping out at you? Irish player? You might be. You want to throw some names just for fun? Just, just Even just to fill the dead air to <laughs> Tommy Coyne. 
Didn't come back, did he? <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I thought he was away. <laughs> I did his bit. Not Tommy Coyne, uh, not John Collins, not... Not Charlie Nichols. Not Charlie Nichols. Can't be Charlie Nichols. No. 100 and Alvin Camps. Ew. Nah, really. Nah, 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 nah. That's you out. Nah. Fair enough. One out, off to a flyer, lads. So, I'll leave it with the listeners. So, the guys never managed to get it there. So, nothing to beep out this week. So, if you think you know the answer to this week's Mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the hashtag Mystery Celt. Okay, so let's take a look now at this week's listeners' question, which this week comes from Noel McGrann, London. Noel's a long-term supporter of the show and a good pal, so thanks to him for sending this one in. Let's take a listen here at Noel's question. Uh, my question is this. Following on from Lee Johnson's comments that someone will take a 10-goal beating from Celtic this season, and Derek McInnes suggesting that this team is even better than the Brendan Rodgers' invincible side of 2016-17, would the panel agree with these statements? And how do you think that the two squads compare? So good question there from Noel. James, your short initial response to that one? Uh, very, very different. Um, I think Rogers alluded to it a bit earlier on there. You relied on the hero player. You know, he's, he's big, big, strong signings, Moose and things like that. And it's all about culture. So quite difficult to compare. Which one do I prefer? I do prefer this one, you know. And the Invincible is obviously the... Spankers, they, they gave that lot, gave it a lot of happy times, and obviously was disappointed how and when Rodgers left, and also with how the replacement was brought in. But I prefer this team. Yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be my. Touch. What I'll do moving forward, I'm going to provide some information in terms of you know to give us a fair comparison. We'll look at the trophies, the successes, the players involved, and in the, the style of play. But Matt, if I'll come to you next. Just your initial response to the question. Yeah, well, I think we actually touched on this briefly in the, the post match. Um, because yeah, so, Derek, Derek McKenna said that after the game Apologies for him, they need to listen to me again uh, I would say that This current team is probably a bit more defensively sound um, That That's my initial thought on it However, I just prefer watching this team But that's not to say I didn't absolutely love The four trebles in a row that we won <laughs> So it sounds a bit stupid when you're, when you're even comparing another team to that But I think it's it's because of the season where things did fall apart from us, we, we dropped so far so quickly. It exposed a lot of areas of the club which had been kind of glossed over and, you know, cracks that had been paper, papered over by the success we had under Rodgers and, and subsequently Lennon when he continued that briefly. Um, but I think this team feels different because it feels like the club has been managed properly top to bottom so I, I just think the whole feeling around the club if, if you're being perfectly honest the the one thing that stood out was the, the European element Aye. under under Rodgers you, you, even though we qualified for the Champions League you felt that there was a few missed opportunities within there it would be fair to say um, again taking the stats out, out of it and looking with how, how we played specifically away from home in Europe it felt really different under Ange, even though the results ultimately didn't didn't go on, go our way. It felt like we just played better when you were watching it. You weren't watching the game for oh, behind the yeah. couch or through your through your fingers. So for me, I personally I prefer this team. It's probably recency bias, yes, because your heroes are playing for the team rather than jumping down the road to, to England to play. So for me, I just love Ange of the team and I love her style of play. Yeah, Paddy, what's your take at the moment on it? I think for what Rogers done for us, what he, um, <coughs> you know, what he achieved, the professionalism—I'll try and say that again—professionalism that he brought to the team and and just the the standard that we kind of rose to. For me, that is the what I prefer more. Um, I think it's too early to comment on Angie's <coughs> era. I think there's so much more to come from this team. But what Roger's done is he basically swept away any challenge from anyone for three solid seasons. And I say three solid seasons in the sense of Lennon had to steer the team home. And he'd done a good job. I'm not disputing that at all. But it was a Rogers team. Um, I think if the two of them were to play each other, I think Angie's team wins. Mm. I do. Um, that's, Some game. It would be a great game. Aye. Um, but I remember the old debate was uh, would Roger's team beat O'Neill's team and I didn't think they would I didn't think they would I think O'Neill's team you know the Seville team would would run over that yeah. team 
I just think I, I think Angie's football, Angie's personality has at the moment is better than what we had then. Only reason being is that there, are, there, there has been more of a challenge now. Yeah, a couple of really good and interesting points here, Paddy. I think ultimately saying that it's too early to make a comparison might be the overarching point because Rodgers had what two and a half, a bit more than two and a half years at the helm. Angie's one and a half years in with you know more trophies to lift, hopefully all going well. So listen, let's look at some information which might allow us to give a, a fairer comparison. So in terms of trophies and success. Ultimately, when it comes to Rodgers as well, we've got to keep in mind that any opinions on him may well be clouded, as James says, due to how you left. So let's let's try and remove that from this, just to be... By the question, Asker, because I know he doesn't <laughs> like Brendan Rodgers at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I have no big, big, big issues. We can get into it another time. <laughs> anyway, in terms of trophies, let's keep it separate. So in terms of trophies, he won seven out of seven trophies before jumping ship, which included two league titles, two Scottish Cups and two League Cups. The specific question today, though, is regarding the invincible side of 2016-17. So, as we know, there's some really incredible numbers around this side. So, as we know, that side completed the domestic season unbeaten across 47 games. They won the league with a record... How many points, Paddy? You any idea? 106. Correct. Don't doubt yourself. 106. 106 points. That's incredible knowledge, Paddy. Which was 30 points ahead of second-placed Aberdeen. They won the league on the 2nd of April 2017, which was with eight games remaining, so it just shows the dominance. Uh, that campaign included a run of 22 straight league victories, bettered only by Martin O'Neill's side in 2003-04 season, who recorded 25 straight league wins. And Celtic, of course, completed the, the domestic treble that season by beating Aberdeen 3-0 in the League Cup final and beating them again 2-1 in the Scottish Cup final. And that became the fourth treble in our history. So as I say, incredible numbers and there's absolutely no dispute in that. However, I suppose, you know, to hark back to the point there, Paddy, is it a genuine and, and fair comparison Based on two things: one, you know, the time elapsed, and the you know the fact that it might be too early to make a comparison, but also, as as Paddy rightfully said, Muff, who we were up against at the time. So Aberdeen had established themselves as the the second force in the country, and Rangers, by comparison, were a, a pretty poor side at that time. So, is it a fair comparison on that score? Um, I, I, I see, I see your point, but at the same time, Celtic were a lot closer to Aberdeen than before Rogers was appointed, so I think he, he, he definitely, you know, he, he, the way he very quickly built the side is actually fairly reminiscent to what, what Ange's done, I, I'd, say, I'd yeah. say that, that's definitely comparable. I think it's probably more down to style, and whilst there was a certain panache in, in Rogers' team, I think th- there was more a focus on suffocating the opposition by possession, rather Ange's team tends to be a wee bit more direct mm-hmm. and a bit faster paced, would be the... You know the the style difference, um, but again, it's maybe just. I, I mean, I can remember specifically on Rogers' first season. There was a few games we won with the odd goal at Celtic Park. That there, there was a real run of fixtures in, in in December. I think we were home at Partick, home at Ross County. We won with the odd goal, and it was really uninspiring stuff. Um, you could argue on <laughs> Saturday the first half was probably falling to that bracket as well. But I think with Angie's team, if if you just look back over the, the season and a half that he's been here. Um, I think the general standard has maintained a level, whereas under Rodgers it did tend to dip, but they still managed to find a way to win. Yeah, of the of the two, I mean, I, I think Rodgers is a phenomenal manager. You know, his, his track record speaks for itself. Ange is an entertainer. Rodgers is out to win games and trophies, mm-hmm. and there's a big difference between the two. Of course, Ange is out to win trophies, but only if he's entertaining the the fans. It's the whole. Performance versus win. So Ange always talks about performance being the main thing, and as a byproduct of performing well, you will, you win. will win. Whereas Rogers and many other managers, because you know it's a kind of the life of a manager at any club is generally quite short. You know, you rarely see guys getting four, five, six years. Now you get a year, a year and a half, couple of years maybe, and then a couple of bad results and you're out. Brendan Rogers will most likely be out of a job pretty soon, actually at Leicester. But Ange's got this different approach where he sees the performance as the be all and end all, and it just happens to be the fact that if that goes well you'll get a win as well. Yeah, it, Both great managers. Um, like you say, they've, they've, they've both kind of got their own idea of how they want to do it. Um, one of the things I would say about Rogers, which I really, really admired, was his attention to detail. Um, a few people I know that were part of like, his early training days or like his, his early pre-season, as early as pre-season when he first arrived, were telling me that he was giving each player a file on the opposition so, for example, if you were left back, this is the right wingers you might be facing. They might switch their left winger over. Go and study this. You will be tested on this. He was very meticulous that way. And he'd done it with every position in, in the team. 
you know, you need to know how, uh, sorry, know when to use your left foot for clearing a ball if you're a goalkeeper, for example. S- stuff like that. He was on top of absolutely everything. Yeah. I think there's just a natural fluidity with Angie's team that, that maybe doesn't have that uh, level of control. I control, yeah. And I just think that's the difference between the two. One of the things I noticed with Anne saying he would never ever change his style in Europe this year, he adapted to the game though with mm-hmm. the same style. Whereas Rogers was so rigid in a lot of his his play in Europe that that's why we get picked off. He didn't want to change. He didn't want to take or try and soak up any pressure. And I think you, you notice the differences between the two there. And that's probably where I would say I, I feel a bit more comfortable going into those European games as you as you've mentioned. But also, I just think under Ange as well, he does, in my opinion, have a better calibre of player available. And we're just about to get to the players, but an interesting point is the, the professionalism. Um, and this isn't to slight Ronnie Dyler or anything that went before Ronnie Dyler, yeah. but there is no doubt that Brendan Rodgers came and dragged us into where we should have been yeah. at, you know, in 2016. That's We should already have been at this level of professionalism by the time he got there, but he managed to drag us in there. And that's why it's been less... Less of a shift now that Angie's here because generally speaking, we got to this level. You can debate what happened with Neil Lennon after that, but the club had brought themselves up to another level and Angie just continued that to a huge extent. The players, of course, you know, play a huge part in comparing the two sides. So there's there's no doubt there's real quality, genuine quality throughout both sides. Uh, and I've picked out here who I think are the key players from each. So for the Invincible side, just picked out five players from each. There's obviously more. Scott Brown, the captain and, and real influential leader of the side. Scott Sinclair, obviously a key signing. He finished top scorer in the league that season with 21 goals and scored in each of our first six league games, beating Jimmy McGrory's previous record of five league games. You've got Moussa Dembele, as James mentioned, a real, you know, standout. He got 32 goals across all competitions and scored the first hat-trick against Rangers since Harry Hood in 1973. You've got Tom Rogic, potentially his best season at the club and he was the man who scored that memorable goal against Aberdeen at Hamden, 27th of May, that sealed the treble. And Kieran Tierney, you know, a big favourite of everybody here, I think. Despite injury in the early part of that season, he really then began to establish himself as, as one of our standout players. So, I mean, what's your take on those players as a group, Matt? And there, there's various others. There's, you know, Mika Lustig and, and all sorts of other guys. I mean, those players, Sinclair's first season was just absolutely phenomenal. From the get-go. Just his, his introduction away at Tynecastle and the impact that he had. Um, you know, I think we, we had both Moussa and even the early season form of Griffiths that season. Griffiths was absolutely on fire until he got injured and then Moussa's just come in and, and carried it on and, and showed us what a good player he is. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Tierney, that, that was Tierney really taking things up to another level where you knew you had a you had a serious player in your hands. I think we already felt he could be good, but under Rogers' professionalism, as I, I think you guys have, have already mentioned, that really took Tierney another level. Just on that, Tierney actually, to, to defend a wee bit of Dyla, Tierney speaks of Dyla as the person that took the professionalism up. Obviously, had a lot of challenges in there with the big yeah. personalities and not being backed by his, his yep. chief exec. So I think Dyla gets a bit of credit for, for Tierney. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and then, then Brown, who... You know, when you look back through Celtic history, he's just got to stand out like a sore thumb. He's, he, the, the fact that I think Rogers himself would, would say that Brown was so pivotal to everything they achieved because Brown bought into Rogers, which then drove that squad on. Probably this Brown a bit burnt by how the dialer tenure had ended because I think Brown was also a fan of um, Dylan Collins. Mm-hmm. So he's thrown his, his weight entirely behind that and, and then you saw the benefits that we got I mean it, it, it's obviously a debating point and, and we're debating about it because because it's, it's something that's came up and, and a question that's been asked but each each team has its place in history for, for that time but the team we have now is the team we have because of the players that Andrew's brought in it's, it's you know it's difficult the types of players that we're buying are completely different to the types of players that Rodgers would have identified, for example, for different reasons. And I, I just think, I, I think we're on the cusp of something really special. You could turn around and say, well, what's really special compared to a team that won four trebles in a row? You, you probably won't get more special than that. But I, I, I think this team might do something, whatever that something is, in Europe. Yeah, mm. you might be right. I think it's important as well, just as a, a side point, but he's 
at different times have, have noted the work that Ronnie Dyer done yourself as well, James. And I think it deserves real credit because yeah, yeah he gave KT his debut. He gave Martin Odegaard his debut, I think, who's now flying with Arsenal. I think he's Arsenal's captain at the best of times, but a seriously talented player. He brought Chris Iyer in from Norway. The guy knows football and he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done at Celtic under quite difficult circumstances as well. So real credit to Ronnie Dyla. I think, you know, we're all appreciative of what he's done at the club. Looking at some of the current players, so, you know, I've picked out again five players here. So Callum Gregor, who obviously is now the captain and replaced Scott Brown, keeping in mind he was part of that previous team, but, you know, he was maybe finding his feet at that point. We've got Kyogo, who's the number one striker at the club and 16 goals for this season so far. Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's become the absolute cornerstone of the defence and arguably our best player this season. It seems to be getting easier for him he, with each passing uh, game. He, he worries me that he's too good. He's very good. Yep. Um, beyond that, you've got Jota, a brilliant talent, someone whose skills are real joy to watch. And then Rio Hitati. We've spent a bit of time on Rio Hitati today and a player who's starting to show just how vital he is to the team and, again, a huge talent. I mean, what's your take on that, James, in terms of, you know, just a snapshot looking at the five from the Invincible team and some of the main players from the current team? Yeah, you know, it's funny, like you're, so you're picking five and five there, but it goes back to what we were saying earlier on. There's, there's a lot of big hero players in, in Rodgers' team, but you've mentioned five there from... Angie's team and there's probably another eight you could happily talk about in the same kind of tone so if, I, I think it's just that spread of talent across the team that, that we've got one of the biggest things for me is that there's a total culture change at, at, at board level at Celtic in, instead of like Rodgers and Diala having this adversarial relationship with Peter Law we are fighting tooth and nail to get this player or that player getting players signed for you that's not the case for Angie at all so it's maybe unfair even to to judge you know Rogers because he didn't have that that atmosphere that that relationship that Angie's got with, with Michael Nicholson so I think that's the biggest thing that's going on at Celtic at the moment is that we're all heading the right direction yeah it's a very valid point that Brendan Rogers versus Ange Postacoglu have operated under very different regimes at Celtic and, and that shouldn't be discounted but in terms of the players party as I mentioned there the, the five from the current squad and James is right there's there's so many more I was actually I was struggling to find, you know, think what five should I highlight here because there's there's a whole host of other guys. People are excited by Haksabanovic. You know, you've got other guys that, you know, might come at the four, you know, between, you know, Greg, T- Greg Taylor's played the year so far. Greg Taylor, Maeda's become Maeda. a favourite. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's lots going on there. So, you know, Leah Labada, you know, guys love yeah. what he's doing. Um, but what's your take, Paddy, if you're looking just at a player comparison between the two sides? A player comparison, I think some of the, the guys that were part of Rogers' team had been there uh, with Tyler. He, uh, Di- uh, sorry, uh, with Tyler, and Rogers picked up a team that basically just needed that little bit of boost of, of, of confidence, really. They were fit, though, and that was a, a big factor in how they went on to have such a successful season. But they, what they had was cohesion to an extent, and it was only some extra players that have come in, the likes of Dembele, um, dare I say it, Colo Turi. <laughs> did his bit. Did his bit, did his bit. But th- this is the thing, it was just adding those voices into the changing room that Rogers was very clever about. And someone like, getting someone like Dembele was an incredible signing. Um, I, I always kind of compared him and Edward for a little bit, but when you look back at it, actually he's probably the best striker we've had since Larson. Dembele, in my opinion, just an incredible player. Yeah. Interestingly, the guy that asked that question, Noel, uh-huh. he's the complete opposite. He prefers Edward. Edward I, but for, for me, the Musa, I, all the way. Dembele all day long. I, I loved Edward. What yeah. about you, Where do you stand on that? Musa. Yeah. Four, four for four there No won't be pleased at all James Because you're <laughs> right. he, stuck he, right he's an Edward fan over a Dembele fan And he also has no time for Brendan Rodgers In terms of how he left Celtic But, but just going on to the, obviously the Anne side of things Anne's never had that cohesion Anne's had a select handful of players That were kind of still hanging about From from Rodgers' era to be honest mm-hmm. um, And to, to get to get this team going so quickly and so fast is credit to the board, yes, but it's credit to a guy that just knows what he wants and knows when and who to buy. That's and who to sell. I mean, he went in and then went, right, yeah. a lot of you guys aren't going to be here in six months or in one month. You know, I'm, I'm going to go through this team. Aye. Also, the, the, the thing that links them both together, like you mentioned McGregor, but I also think Rogic as well. He was the one player I didn't yeah. touch on when you mentioned him. But the tune that Ange got out of Rogic that, that season Give me one more cool, just yeah. Give me one more 90 and minutes he, And he got it yeah. It was it was just a joy It was an absolute joy to watch <laughs> For me personally Rogic Is one of my favourite 
if our Celtic players I just love them yeah. Yeah. but there's no doubt a lot of very talented players across both sides and it's interesting just to look at you know how that stacks up there's a final kind of point but you have touched on it as such it's the style of play and the entertainment value from the both sides so I, I would I would agree with your points on Brendan Rodgers side in terms of very much possession based at times and you know would sometimes be happy to see out a game 2-0 you know depending on the circumstances and just control possession play it out across the midfield till the whistle goes and you say they're not like that and, and me and Miff spoke about it in the post-match from this weekend you know as recently as this weekend they're absolutely relentless and we're 2-0 up and cruising against Kilmarnock and we're running to take throw-ins in the 94th minute to try and get that extra goal there's a real hunger across the team they're relentless by comparison to, to Roger's side and literally don't stop pushing till the final whistle well that team would have been getting in there and looking at some of the chances missed you look at the Forest chances you look at the <laughs> O'Reilly chance and they'll be worried getting into that changing room you know I, I think back to the Rafe Rovers game in the Scottish Cup last year and he, he wasn't happy at all yeah. that's that's a great level to be at that's what he wants he wants everyone going to the very end and that's why we're that's why we, we, we are where we are because of that mentality he, he was not happy no you heard them you heard, aye, aye, you heard them. the game oh yeah, yeah. you heard them brilliant as we start to get to a, a close and maybe some sort of conclusion to the question so I'll ask first of all what team you prefer to watch right and I suppose that in itself as a question does it necessarily make them a better side you know you might prefer to watch the Harlem Globetrotters but they might not be the best team you know on the planet they are though they are actually <laughs> Terrible analogy, but you know what I'm trying to say. So, I mean, I'll come to you first, smart guy. So, <laughs> smart guy. Do the, uh, who do you prefer to watch out of the two teams? You've watched them both. You've been season ticket holder for however many years. You've seen them both in the flesh. It's got, it's got to be Angie's team, and 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 probably not just because they're the, the most. I just think the players that they have in the team, you, you can see, you know what's coming, but it's stopping. It's a problem. We've seen various different methods and, and trying to stop us but I just think Angie's team I think Paddy mentioned it there it's the word fluidity that's that's the best the best word they're just a fluid team and a joy to watch yeah Paddy you touched on it it's a huge hypothetical but on the day who do you think might win if the two sides were to somehow be matched up against each other I just think going with what we're saying obviously the five you mentioned for Rogers team are incredibly good players but I just think it would be Angie's quick thinking, quick nature and quick approach to the game, I think they would see it out. I think it would be a close game, I really do. Um, but for me, it's Angie's team It's kind of the one that's very, very exciting to watch. Like we spoke about with Rodgers, there was those games where you're like, come on, try something a bit different. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, I still think one of probably my, my most favourite game in my Celtic lifetime would be 3 2 at Ibrox. Who, oh, who brings a striker Eddie. on? Who brings a striker on with 10 men? Oh, it's an Edward. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. James, the question we've not quite covered uh, from, from Noel's question. Yep, we've talked about the comparables between the two sides. But the suggestion from Lee Johnson that Celtic are going to take 10 off someone this season, do you think that's going to happen at some point? Yeah. Um, I think there's been a couple of games. Saturday could have been a, a 5 or 6, and Kilmarnock couldn't have complained at all. Um, I think it is if we get obviously the goal in the first 15 we get a couple more by half time then they'll be looking to come out and, and keep performing you know we could have scored four in the last 10 minutes just mm -hmm. in Saturday we've already so, did a nine aye yeah. United so but will we get a ten aye. I think they will yeah yeah nah. you never know <laughs> but listen it's an interesting one thanks to Noel for the question it's, it's a thanks, good debate Noel. and I'm sure it'll rumble on with, with other folk online and if you want to submit a question to us for any discussion on any future shows you can get in touch with us via the social media channels or email me directly on tino at the Celtic Exchange .com. Time for this week in Celtic Media. Each week here on the weekly show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic Media that they then recommend to our listeners. This week, Paddy's got something for us. Paddy, what have you got? Um, I found on YouTube last week uh, a brilliant interview with, uh, it's called The 442. It's not the magazine. It's I think it's a different setup. I've not really looked into what these guys do, but they were talking to Alan Thompson and not just about Celtic but about his full career um, and just Thompson as I've mentioned before on this podcast is one of my favourite players just a, a brilliant brilliant signing for us under O'Neill a um, couple of cool little points I really really I didn't know about him but just I really enjoyed listening to was that his move from Bolton to Villa um, Ferguson was in touch with him 
oh. to sign for Man United and it was very close to being a, a done deal but he basically couldn't promise him game time because um, of gigs and Thompson was just like I just want to play football I think uh, Thompson nearly gave up football at a young age through injury um, and was able to kind of come back and he just wanted to continuously play didn't care about money um, he's very honest throughout the whole the whole podcast about it he, um, he didn't care about money he just wanted to play and um, wanted to play at a good level and yeah he spoke to Ferguson he thought it was a bam up to begin with he thought a few of the Scottish boys that he'd kind of played with uh, were, were um, Newcastle and Bolton had kind of got a hold of his number and were winding him up but no um, United ended up going on and sign, signing uh, Jesper Blomqvist yep. Blomqvist I can't, I can't even say his name um, and then the other brilliant stories is just obviously talking about some of the stuff under a nail um, and just the level of unity that that full team had especially through the the Seville run and um, he's very honest about um, the Boavista games he's like the worst games I've ever played in my life he said I was just so so nervous and he just talks about we still had a feeling we were going to go through because we'd Henrik Larson up front you know it's yeah. just and he, he said this brilliant thing he said I had to put the ball um onto Sutton and Hartson's head every time for them to score. He says, but I could generally play the ball anywhere in the box and I know that Larson would go on it. And I just think that's an incredible, incredible compliment for him. I, I think just on that point, and even even somebody like Sutton himself, <coughs> excuse me, that, that who isn't he, isn't he shy about how, how good he felt he was, the, the absolute reverence with which everybody in that squad talks about Larson is is just unbelievable. Yeah. It's like they, it's almost like they're in debt to him or the gratitude they have for him being part of that yeah. squad to allow them to experience what they experienced through their careers because it, it I mean obviously just something else, wouldn't it? Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of players in the, the world game of football that play with world class and they all did with Larson. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. But in terms of talk Tomo himself so you've mentioned a couple of times now in the show how big a fan you were of him at Celtic what was it that that made you such a big fan did you, you had his name and number in your shirt didn't you I did I did I always kind of you know I looked at everyone with Larson 7 and I just liked to be that wee guy against the grain I think mm -hmm. and I always just thought who who puts the ball into Larson who's the who's the main player that kind of gets the, the the assists in that team and it was Tomo for me I just loved um I loved the passion and I loved how much he, he enjoyed playing against them and he, he gets stuck in and he scored some absolute beauties against yeah, them as well. Yeah. I'll never forget the, the, the goal against Kloss and he just scalps in off the underside of the bar. Just yeah. one of the, the best goals ever. Um, yeah. But it meant so much to him. It really did. And I just, a, a guy that, you know, took the risk to come to Celtic. Um, I think other teams were looking at him, uh, at him but it was um, Anil tried to sign him from uh, Bolton at Leicester and I think he was uh, getting offered again more game time at, at Aston Villa um, and then Anil came back in for him and he says no I want to work with this manager and I want to play at this big team yeah. and he says that this big team and I love that about him Great. It's a bold decision for any footballer to turn down Man United particularly at that time when <laughs> they were they were Man United in the true sense they were yeah. winning everything Fergie was legendary and all that stuff um, so maybe it says a lot about him as a character that he's thought nah I want to play football and, and it doesn't really matter who they are I want to just go and you know prove myself wherever it might be one of the best bits about this and I, I'm not ruining the full thing for you here guys uh, do go and watch it or listen to it um, he comes away with a belter that Martin O'Neill said to John Hartson he said John start warming up you're coming off <laughs> <laughs> absolute screamer um, but I Definitely worth the watch. Um, just a, a good insight to him. Um, one of the sad points of it, he talks about the jerseys swapped with players over the years, and he says that he's not got many of them now because he had to sell quite a lot. Yeah, you know, just stuff like that. So it's a really good insight uh, to his career, his life, and his his way in football. But just he goes down as part as a, a great team and just a great player for us as well. Yeah, sounds a great watch. Uh, if any final thoughts on Thompson, they obviously done a brilliant job in that team. Did, did we let him go a wee bit early? Um, well, I think that was down to if, if you look at that Sutton, Baldy and, and Thompson were all managed in a particular way by, by Stratton I think that was part of what Stratton was brought in to do was yeah, downgrade to kind of, kind of lessen, lessen the budget and, and it'd be fair to Stratton had done it and was also successful at, at the same time but in terms of Thompson initially I probably wasn't wasn't his biggest fan um, but that obviously did get blown out the water so Did he score a back heel in his debut if you didn't throw over? Yeah, he scored a back heel in his debut yeah. so it, Good it, it was only after a short period of time that you're 
mind changed on him. Um, like Paddy said, I, I think the thing you remember most about him is the fact that he was he was a very competitive player, but he saved his best for Rangers. No mm. doubt about that at all. Yeah, he's got a great record against Rangers. So uh, I think the full name of the show, Paddy, is Alan Thompson Tells the Brutal Truth. Um, it's just about an hour long on YouTube. So as always, we'll link to this one in the show notes for this episode. Muff, another week, another one for Celtic, and we're now off to Hamden for a League Cup semi-final against Kilmarnock on Saturday. Your final comments for the week? Uh, very excited for the game. Sadly, won't be going. It's my mum's birthday party. Oh, oh serene. Oh. Selfish. Ouch. Do it on the Sunday. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I so uh, obviously be, just be watching it, watching it on tele, keep my keen eye on the score, and um, fairly confident we'll go through. Good, James. What about yourself? Looking forward to Saturday's game. Great to cut football back. Aye, um, it's obviously it's our trophy. We want to retain it. So I think a few of the players have said they really enjoyed the Hamden experience last year. So good to get, good to get back to that. So yeah, uh, I, I'm just loving the whole whole Celtic thing. That it's great. On that point, the Hamden experience, the, the semi-final against St Johnson was a raucous affair. It was like a half-five kick-off, yeah. the Betty Old tribute. Oh, it was yeah. it was absolutely fantastic, it really was. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for more of the same. And yourself, Paddy, the final word goes to you this week. Yeah, I just think it'll be a, a good game against Kilmarnock. Um, I think it'll be a bit more open with it being a cup game. I actually see us blowing them away. I really do. Yeah, I think so. I think you, you've got to say they were pretty lucky to escape 2 now, weren't they, I, Saturday? I had definitely, and I think um, I don't see McInnes trying to approach it that way again. Um, Kyle Lafferty's back. I've seen that. I, oh, you'll love this, but I mean, Carl Vickers will eat him up. Aye, happily. All happily. I'm not worried there. Yeah, but it's another one to look forward to. So that wraps things up for this week's episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James Paddy and Miff for joining me, and as always, our thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to visit our new website at theceltichange.com where you can view all of our podcasts, blog articles and more. And you'll also find details there of our Celtic Exchange Plus subscription where we'll be pre- previewing another trip to Hamden. But in the meantime, from myself and the team, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again this time next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.